Good day. Welcome once again to our Bible study. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Today we'll be covering verses 11 through 18. And the title of today's lesson is that Jesus clears out the temple courts. Let's go back to last week and review. Last week we, we studied and we seen where Jesus did his first miracle when he turned water into wine. And we said that, if you remember, wine, we said, is related to love. It's related to joy. It's related to happiness. So the message that Jesus was trying to send with this miracle is that Jesus himself needs to be at the center of our marriage or at the center of our life, right? You see, just like wine, the older the wine gets, the better it tastes, right? So this Jesus has given us a story here that Jesus is saying, when you first get married, there's joy and happiness and love. But you see, as time goes on, that starts to wear out. But Jesus says, if you keep me at the center of it, that it's never going to wear out. It's never going to be dull. It's never going to be boring, right? In other words, if Jesus is the center of your life, Jesus is at the center of your marriage, the message was this, that Jesus is going to make it better throughout as time goes on. It's not going to get dull, it's not going to get boring, but it's going to get better, right? You see, a marriage is between a man and, a, and his wife, but also God, right? Between a man and God, a woman and God, but when a man and a woman gets married, then what happens? They become one. And what, what Jesus is saying here is that he needs to be at the center of your life. He needs to be at the center of of that marriage, right? He needs to be at the center of your family, of your home, like Joshua said to the Israelites. Joshua said, I don't know what, what you're going to do, but as of today, me and my house will what? We will serve the Lord. Amen. So that's the message in last week that Jesus needs to be the center of our marriage, right? And Jesus needs to be the center of our life. So let's jump to today's lesson. Open up, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 2, we start in verse 11. And verse 11 through 18 says this. <clears throat> what Jesus did here in Cana of the Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove all of them out of the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. And he scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned tables. To those who sold doves, he told them, out of here. Stop turning my father's house to a market. Some of your Bibles might say commerce. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? So let's go back up to verse 11. Verse 11 states this, 
What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, the first text of that scripture uses the word Galilee. Now, why uses the word Galilee? The scripture says this, what Jesus did here in the Cana of Galilee. Now, why Galilee? Because Galilee, if you remember last week, relates to redemption. It means revelation, you can say, right? So this is revealing to us that Jesus is the source of love. He's the source of joy. He's the source of happiness within a marriage. You see, it's only when we seek change. It's only when we put Jesus first. We put him at the center of our life. We put him at the center of our marriage, at the center of our wedding, that a godly change will come about. And because of that godly change, our marriage, our relationship with our spouse will be different from the rest of the world, right? In other words, when this happens, we're not going to find out that the best of times were are behind us, right? Remember last week, Jesus at the center, what's going to happen? But the best of times is what? It's in front of us. Now, why do I say this, right? Because just like wine, it gets better with age. When we put Jesus first, he's going to make our lives better. He's going to make our marriage better. We're going to be more at peace. We're going to be with joy, with happiness, right? Amen? Scripture also tells us right here that he revealed his glory. Now, he revealed his glory, how? Because he worked in this marriage. It is because he acted to bring about wine. And remember what we said, what is synonymous with wine in scripture? Love, joy. If you read the, the, song, of so, the, the song of Songs, right? The uh, Song of Solomon. If you look at that and you read it, it says wine, wine, wine throughout that Wine is synonymous with love, with joy, with happiness, right? So we see here that it's all about love, joy, and happiness, right? This is what it's telling us. See, he had a priority, and that priority was marriage. And, and this is why marriage is so important. It's important of our lives, right? But it's also important to Jesus. Whether or not you have a husband and a wife, right? Meaning male and female, right? Or, or some of us. Just might be married to Jesus, right? But, but, but we need to be married in some way. Either way, Jesus is saying he wants to be the center of your life. That he wants to be the center. He wants to be involved in that marriage. Whether or not it be with him, you and your wife and him, or just you and him. He, he wants, see, a marriage is a covenant. That's what he's saying here, right? And God wants to use that marriage, right? Not just to give us joy and love and happiness. Yeah, he wants to give us that. And when he's the center of that, it, he will. But, but he wants to use us and wants to use our marriage with him or with your spouse and him. His power will be manifested through us so that when other people see us, right, they see something a little different from the rest of the world. They know that Jesus is at the center of our lives, at the center of our marriage, right? And his disciples, the scripture says, believed in him. So because of this miracle, the disciples, they believed in him. Because you can say this, that he was working for the purposes and the plans of his father, of God. See, he moved in a way in this situation where the covenant purpose of marriage would be a reality. The miracle that he did, turning water into wine, 
right? It showed his power over nature, we can say. And how did that miracle come about, right? It would reveal the way that he would go about his ministry, you can say. And what do I mean by that? In other words, Jesus was always helping others. He went out of his way to help others. He's speaking with authority, right? Being in a personal relationship with people, that's what Jesus was. Jesus did all sorts of miracles to to be a part of their lives, to change their lives in a positive way, right? And and you see, miracles are, are not merely superhuman happenings, we can say, right? But happenings that demonstrate God's power, amen? Right? And almost every miracle we can say that Jesus did, we can say it was was a renewal of fallen creation. And what do I mean by that? Could Jesus went around restoring sight, making the lame walk, making people hear, right? Even restoring life. So so we must believe in him, not because he's this like this Superman, right? But but because he's God. And he's continuing to do his work on his creation. Even those who are poor. Weak, crippled, orphan, blind, lame, right? Or, or some other desperate need to be recreated in some type of way. That's what Jesus does. He wants to transform our lives to glorify his Father. Amen? Verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. Now, this is in reference to the beginning of his ministry. And we see, where did he go? The scripture tells us he went to Capernaum. And why Capernaum? Because this is a place prophetically that the prophet Isaiah talked about, that a light of redemption would begin to shine. And and I forget if it's Isaiah chapter 8 or chapter 9, but you you can go look it up and read it yourself. But the prophet Isaiah talks about that there's going to be redemption, this light that shines, and where is it going to start? In Capernaum, right? So in other words, we can say this is a place where his ministry would begin. So once again, we see where Old Testament prophecy and New Testament reality are being fulfilled exactly where the Word of God prophetically speaks to. Now, Capernaum, this is an interesting place, right? Because this becomes Jesus' home base for his ministry. It's in the Galilee. It was located on, on a major trade route. It's very important city region at that time, right? Because we also know from last week's lesson that the Roman garrison army was located and stationed here. Now, if you go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 9, this is where Matthew was called to be a disciple. Right here at this place, Capernaum, right? It's also the home of several other disciples. And we, we learned that in Matthew 4, verse 13. In fact, five of them. Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew came directly from Capernaum. But all the other disciples came from the Galilee area. There's only one who didn't come from the Galilee. And that was Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray Jesus. Now, Capernaum is mentioned more than 50 times in the New Testament, making it the most mentioned place after Jerusalem. It's an important place, right? And if you go there today, it's a place where Jesus cursed when he was alive because their lack of belief. We also know that it was the home of other government officials, 
Matthew 4.46 tells us that, right? They also had a synagogue in this place, and Jesus taught them, right? It was his home base, but he also condemned this place because of their unbelief. And we see that in Matthew 11.23 and Luke 10.15. Verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we see that there's a Passover festival, right? And we see that Jesus, Yeshua, he goes up to Jerusalem. He goes up to this festival. So this tells us that he was obedient to the Father and he was obedient to the scriptures. So we can say that he submitted to the law of Moses. Now, this is a Passover festival. And this is one of the three pilgrimage festivals in the Jewish culture. Now, the Passover celebration took place every year. It was yearly. And it took place in the temple that was located in Jerusalem. Just to give you a little background here. And every Jewish male was expected to make that trip to Jerusalem every year, right? Also, families from afar made the trip to come down to Jerusalem. Now, if we go back way to the Old Testament. If you remember, Solomon was the first to build the temple, right? If you remember, King David wanted to build the first. Prophet through God told him, no, save up the finances and let your son Solomon build it. And that's what David did. David was obedient to God. David listened to the prophet, right? Listened to God through the prophet. So he saved up. Solomon, right? His his, his year, his reign of of, of king was, was peaceful. There was no wars. They, they made peace with everybody. And the temple was built through the finances that David saved up. But that was that was a thousand years earlier than Jesus. But if you remember, we studied 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings chapter 25, we know that the Babylonians destroyed this temple. But a second temple was built in 515 BC. And it was Herod the Great. He enlarged and he remodeled it. So a second temple was built, but who helped upgrade it? This is interesting. It was Herod the Great. Now, I want you to understand and I want you to see something, right? The second temple, you can say, because of the upgrades, was funded by Herod the Great, who was emperor of the Roman Empire, right? Who would later turn on the Jewish people. Now, it's not coincidence. That this is exactly what's going to happen when the third temple was built by the Antichrist. Because he's going to fund it, I believe. He's going to do what? He's going to maybe, maybe it's going to be there, but he's going to do upgrades, right? We know that because scripture tells us in the last days, he's going to turn on the Jewish people, right? So we see here, going back to scripture here, right, that, that Jesus goes down to Jerusalem and he goes down to the temple. But when he gets to the temple, he sees something that's very, very disturbing to him. Look what verse 14 says. Listen up. Verse 14 states this. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves. And others were sitting at the tables exchanging money. Now, the temple is supposed to be a place of worship, right? That's not what we see in here. Yes, there needs to be a sacrifice, you can say. But but the, instead of the emphasis being on the sacrifice, right, they weren't doing that. They should be praising. They should be worshiping. They should be honoring God because it's the temple. 
But what's actually going on here, right? We see it's a place of commerce. It's a place of business. So what we see here is that this temple is more of a marketplace instead of the house of God. And there are people there selling all sorts of, of animals to be sacrificed. Now, in order to buy them, one couldn't use normal money, you see, because they had to use temple money. They had to exchange normal money into temple coins. And this is a way that the, the Jews made a profit, the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's who was doing this, right? They made a profit. Why? Because then when they would convert the money, they would raise up the price. It would be more like a, you can say a tax, right? It was very, very expensive. They were ripping people off. They were making profit. So Jesus looks at all this and he realizes that the emphasis wasn't on his father. It wasn't on God. It wasn't on a relationship with him. But instead it was, it was on money. Money's the root of all evil, right? Just look at today's world. Now again, Jesus goes down to the temple because it's Passover. And Passover is the festival of redemption. And remember, redemption is man's relationship with God. But we see here at this festival that this is not what's happening. The emphasis is not on God, but the emphasis is on what? Making money. It's on making profit. You see, the temple was always crowded during Passover. A little bit of history again, right? There are thousands and thousands of people that would, that would come there for that one week every year. And the religious leaders here, are, are what they're doing is they're making it worse because they're overcrowding it by allowing money changers and merchants to set up booths in the temple in the court of the Gentiles, right? So, so this, this allowed what was taking place, right? Money, the exchange of money, it, it was a place of business. It wasn't a place of worship. And they did this because... They wanted to upkeep the temple. This is how they, they kept the upkeep of the temple, by, by charging people more when they exchanged their money. But it's crowded. There's people. There's foreigners, right? They all come here to worship God. They all come here to honor God. They all come here to pray. But they can't because business was going on where they needed to be worshiping, where they needed to be honoring God, where they needed to be praying. So you see no wonder was angry because he's looking at all this and he's saying god is not first i'm i'm not first there's no relationship with me and if there's no relationship with me there's no relationship with god and there's no relationship and there's no prayer and there's no worshiping why because you made this place the house of god into a place of business into a place of what commerce into a place of what making profit so you see that money is their god that's what, God, that's what Jesus is meaning here, right? Verse 15. See, the question we need to ask ourselves is, who is our God today, right? Some of us, is it money? Some of us, is it material things, right? Or is it Jesus? Is Jesus the, the center, the true God in our life, amen? Because he wants us to be. Now, understand, he's never going to force himself on you. But he's there. He's saying, Open the door and let me in, right? The question is this, are we going to open that door? Verse 15. So he made a whip out of cords. So Jesus is angry here. So he makes a whip out of cords. He drives them all out of the temple cords, both sheep and cattle, the scripture tells us, right? He scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned tables. So we see here what Jesus is doing here. He's cleansing the temple. Now, let me ask you a question. When you hear the term Passover, 
what comes to your mind, right? Well, if you come from a Jewish background, when we hear the word Passover, that means redemption. And redemption means in intimacy with, with our Father, with God. In other words, knowing Him. But normally, when a Jewish person thinks of Passover, it thinks of preparation. But, but what, we don't see this going on here, right? What, what we see here is that people, they're not worried about preparing the meal. They're not worried about worshiping and honoring God and praying to God. The, 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 the focus here is just on profit. It's on money. So once again, we see that, that Jesus, he gets angry at what he's seeing. To those who sold doves, he tells them, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of market, into a place of commerce. Now, when he talks about father's house, Jesus is saying that he is the son of God. He is speaking about his father, God, Yahweh, I am. He's saying that this is his house also. And he has the right to do this. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. Because he is the past, he's the present, he's our future, he is Emmanuel. He is God that is among us, right? He is cleansing his own house, we can say. So Jesus tells them that they made this house, and instead of being a house of worship, honoring the Father, honoring me, right? But instead of doing that, you made it into a house of business. You made it into a house of money, a house of commerce. So Jesus is very angry at the merchants because they forbid the people from praying. They forbid the people from honoring, from worshiping the Father, from having a relationship with him. See, there's a difference, we need to understand this, between uncontrolled rage and righteous indignation, right? And what do I mean? Both of them are called anger, you can say. But we must be very careful because if we use the power of our emotion for anger, do that. If we see sin and injustice, right? That's a righteous anger. But but to be angry over petty and trivial things in our life, our personal offenses, what people do to us, right? We shouldn't do that. But when a person, when we see injustice in this world, and there's a lot of injustice in this world, right? And if you allow the Holy Spirit and you walk in through the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit, to get you angry a little bit, right? Be, be, because this is what's happening with Jesus here. You know, a lot of people say Jesus didn't, he got angry, but it, was, but it was a righteous, in a way, type of anger. Because he's seen what was going on. You see, in this world that we live in today, it's dark. And there's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of unfairness. There's a lot of wrongdoing that's coming to light. And, and it's okay to be angry because that's injustice and that's sinful, right? And this is what was going on with Jesus right here in the temple with these people. Yes, Jesus did get angry and he had a right to be angry, right? Because instead of putting him first and putting his father first, instead of having a relationship with him and getting closer to God by honoring him and worshiping, right? And praying, we put money first and it's sinful, it's wrong, right? Verse 17, his disciples remember what it is written. Zeal for the house will consume me, right? Now we see a very important biblical truth here about the New Testament, right? Remember what I told you, 
Jesus always refers back to the Old Testament. Old Testament truth, right? In order to make his point in the New Testament. So what is going on here? The disciples quote this scripture that is found in Psalm 69.9. And Psalm 69.9 states this, For the zeal of your house consumes me. And I go back up to the scripture. His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. You see, this was inspired by God. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, we can say, right? And we can say, well, Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't die yet. He didn't resurrect. So, no, the Holy the Spirit was there from the very beginning. Go back to the book of Genesis. Because it said that the Spirit hovered over the deep, over the dark, right? So the Spirit was there from the very beginning. So the Spirit inspired them. Go back to this reading, right? So, so when they go back to these readings, now they understand Jesus' actions, right? That his zeal to his Heavenly Father, his commitment to the Word of God, his commitment to the will of God. You see, everything he's doing is in light of spiritual truth. Now remember, Passover represents intimacy with God. But, but what's happening here is not intimacy with God. It isn't about worship. It isn't about honoring. It isn't about praying. That's what they're supposed to be doing because it's the house of God. It's the temple. But instead, the focus is on money, is on business, right? This is why he does what he does. You see, Jesus took these evil acts that were happening right? As an insult against God. And he didn't deal with it half-heartedly, right? He was consumed with righteous anger against sin and disrespect for his father. Verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you give us to prove your authority to do all this? Now, when it talks about the Jews in this scripture, Speaking about the religious leaders. It's not speaking about the general population in general, right? It's not. Because everything started with the religious leaders. It started with the Sanhedrin. They controlled Israel, both physically and spiritually, right? Yeah, they had to answer to the Roman Empire. But again, the Roman Empire, as long as you paid your taxes and there was no trouble, they left them alone. So you can say that the religious leaders were in charge. They want to know a sign. Look what they say. What sign can you prove to us your authority to do all of this, they say. So they want proof and they want a sign. But you see, Jesus himself is the proof. Jesus himself, amen, is the sign, right? And, and he will demonstrate this from, from this point on in the book of John. He's going to demonstrate his identity. You see, Judaism of that day and even Judaism today, right, they, they're very much offended. Because they don't want to make changes that are so offensive to their goals and their purposes. And, and this gets to the heart of what this book is all about. See, what I want you to see here, what the new covenant, it's not about religion. Right? Why? Because religion is the manifestation of the thoughts of man. You see, the New Testament and this Bible, speaking the truth, is the word of God. Right? And the truth is the revelation of the scriptures. See, it's what God has given us in order to bring about his change. 
his purpose, you can say, right? In other words, his will into our life so that we can become kingdom And that ends our lesson for today. We'll be back next week. We're going to continue on and finish John chapter 2 with verses 19 through 25. We appreciate you all tuning in. Have a blessed and wonderful week and go be the light in this dark world. We love you guys.